Welcome to AMDA in the States, your glimpse into post-acute and long-term care policy, advocacy, and practice at the state level. AMDA in the States is a presentation of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Statements made by guests on the podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of the society. A speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. This podcast episode is sponsored by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. The content in this episode was not developed or endorsed by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. And now, here's our host of the podcast, Dr. Christian Bergman. Welcome to another series of the AMDA in the States podcast. I am your host, Christian Bergman, coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. AMDA in the States is proud to be part of the AMDA On The Go podcast series. As chair of the newly formed AMDA State-Based Policy and Advocacy Subcommittee, I'm excited to share examples of what various states and regional AMDA affiliates and members are doing to help shape policy and advocate on behalf of EALTC residents and staff. As always, resources relevant to this topic and discussion will be posted on the Podbean website. Let's get started. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jane Winston from Fargo, North Dakota. Dr. Winston is a native of Wolpaton, North Dakota, and a graduate of University of North Dakota School of Medicine and Health Sciences. She completed an internship at Hennepin County Medical Center in Minneapolis, a family medicine residency program at the UND Family Practice Center in Fargo, North Dakota, and a geriatric fellowship at Sun Health St. Joseph's in Phoenix, Arizona. Dr. Winston is board certified in family medicine and holds a certificate of added qualifications in geriatric medicine. She's a certified medical director and a clinical assistant professor in geriatrics and family and community medicine at UND School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Dr. Winston retired from her geriatric medicine practice at Sanford Health in Fargo in 2020, just prior to the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. As an advocate for age-friendly care for older adults, she volunteered her time and served on the North Dakota Medical Association COVID-19 Physician Advisory Group and the American Medical Directors Association COVID-19 State Task Force. In 2021, she was appointed to the AMDA State-Based Policy and Advocacy Subcommittee, and she's also a member of the Maricopa County Department of Public Health Medical Reserve Corps and serves as a volunteer vaccinator. She and her husband reside in Fargo, North Dakota and enjoy time away in the winter in Arizona. She has three stepdaughters and four grandchildren and one great-grandchild. Dr. Winston enjoys reading, cooking, walking, yoga, and travel. Welcome, Dr. Winston. Thank you, Christian. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Uh, Today, we'll be hearing more about a state medical directorship listing. Uh, Specifically, we want to hear about the wonderful work that Dr. Jane Winston and colleagues have been undertaking regarding this topic. For more details, we advise everybody to turn to the online section of the Podbean for resources and the June-July 2022 Caring for the Ages article titled We Are PALTC, in which Dr. Winston discusses this project in more detail. Let's jump right in. Uh, So, Dr. Winston, uh, let's start with uh, 
this project. Tell me a little bit about um, what you've been able to accomplish here. Well, Dr. Bergman, as you introduced me and described my history and my background, I just coincidentally happened to retire from my geriatric practice in North Dakota two months before the pandemic actively began in the January of 2020. And I felt so, so uh, uh, that it was so important to do whatever I could to help that, as you said, I volunteered uh, to my governor's office and was appointed to a physician advisory group to the Department of Health, which was administered by the North Dakota Medical Association. And it quickly became obvious that the health department and um, our medical directors group in the state, we have a chapter which combines North and South Dakota, um, had difficulty reaching medical directors in long-term care facilities because we didn't have a, a list. And I started to, uh, I, as you mentioned, volunteered for the AMDA COVID task force and learned from colleagues that this was not something that really any states had an active, um, a list, an accurate list. And that's what got me interested in it. And I, I can describe more about the timetable of how I worked with my colleagues to accomplish this, if you'd like. Yeah, I think uh, just to touch on one thing, you know, before, um, had you, you know, prior to 2020, had you been involved in advocacy and public policy before this? Yes, I have. Really, I have my whole life, and I'll, I'll sort of share some of my personal story. And uh, all politics, really, in a state, the fifth less, least populous state in the country, North Dakota, it's really true, the expression that all politics is local. And I, my hometown was a population of about 7,000 people when I was growing up. And my mother ran for the state legislature and served for several terms while I was in college and medical school. And my father was on our, the council, the city council of our small community. So I learned early on to knock on doors and hand out my, my parents' campaign literature and even march in parades and throw out candy. So it kind of goes back pretty far in my life uh, being a political activist. And when I was uh, first starting my practice in the 80s in North Dakota, a colleague who was a mentor and a good friend really encouraged me to get involved in the political action committee of the state medical association. And I attended a uh, political action committee um, a conference in Washington, DC. And actually on a personal note, that's where I met my, my first husband. And he was a physician in Iowa and he was leading the Iowa delegation. And I was the entire North Dakota delegation. So you can see the difference in the size of the states and ended up getting married and moving to Iowa. And um, Iowa, of course, with the caucus system and uh, early, early uh, um, national recognition and national races, political races, I, I continued my political activism there in our uh, local um, district. And unfortunately, my first husband died unexpectedly six years ago and I, I have since remarried. Um, and that's sort of my personal story of my activism, but that's how I guess I felt. I really, really wanted to, to uh, help during the pandemic. And then that led to 
using, I think, some of my experience and skills to form the coalition that was able to accomplish creating the public listing in my state. Thanks for sharing, Dr. Winston, your personal story and motivation. So important to all these projects that we take on. It requires a lot of time and effort. It's important to understand um, that you were essentially groomed and you have done this for a long time. But um, some of the things that we're about to talk about may have been new uh, as well. Um, so one of the things uh, I'm interested in is how can we virtually knock on doors and throw out candy and parades? That would be really fascinating if we can. <laughs> figure that yes, out. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. So let's go back to um, when you started forming your stakeholders. You mentioned that the medical director listing, the, the reason that it was important for you all was that when you were part of the um, COVID task force and working with the health department, you mentioned it, it was big, difficult to reach clinicians and medical directors. Um, who, uh, who did you turn to first, or how did you first form that coalition? You identified the problem, uh, and you were working with the, the medical association and the health department. Um, who else was involved in the early uh, part, and maybe in 2020 last, um, 2021, excuse me, July 2021, I think is when you uh, had started this work? Yes. Um... When I joined the volunteer to my governor's office, and again, all politics is local, I uh, knew the cared for some of the governor's um, nieces and um, actually two nephews as a young family doctor in our community. Um, and the governor is a, a state native, et cetera. So when I reached out to his um, office and, and offered my my help in the pandemic, that I was appointed to an advisory committee as as you said, uh, to the health department. And I met virtually a lot of colleagues around the state. I live on the far Eastern side of the state and uh, I was able to virtually meet a lot of people working throughout the state, some in very far flung, very, very rural locations. And um, started networking with and getting acquainted with the people in the, uh, both of the Dakotas in the um, state AMDA chapter, which is called the North Central Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. And we, um, through them and through the um, North Dakota Medical Association ex executive director, I was introduced to the director of the State Long-Term Care Association. And she was on board totally. She said, we're really struggling to reach out to medical directors. We um, don't have a an accurate list and you know we would really like to be able to reach them about some of the resources that are available and and this this goes way back to early in the pandemic where we were um, working with the health department on the cash of PPE and how to distribute that and how to allocate it to acute care versus long-term care so the, these meetings were really um, the weekly phone meetings were really very um, hands-on that they were listening to everybody because um, they really sincerely needed needed guidance in the Department of Health. And that's where I started to realize I had these contacts. And um, when I, uh, in July, I attending one of your meetings, Dr. Bergman of the uh, um, State-Based uh, um, Policy and Advocacy Committee, the subcommittee, uh, one of the speakers uh, who was uh, from the AMA um, talked about the importance of coalition building. And someone had mentioned that um, uh, 
in previous meetings about this uh, as a, a good avenue of, of, of getting uh, people with similar interests together to work on this project. And so I reached out to my um, um, executive, the executive director of our state association and submitted a, a public policy proposal about it, which was adopted by the group at the uh, annual virtual meeting in November of 2021. And then I really felt like I had um, enough people on board, including the um, Division of Geriatrics at my medical school to um, approach the health department and the state health officer. So that's kind of the, the steps I took, as you said, starting in the summer of 2021. And the list was actually online as of March of this year. Yeah, as we know, you know, it takes persistence, you know, you got to stick with it. Um, I'm interested in that contact in October of 2021. Um, you said it was your local uh, medical association, uh, North Dakota Medical Association. Is that an AMA affiliated organization? Yes, it's our it's our state, um, um, our state um, affiliate of the of the of AMA, the um, North Dakota Medical Association. And because they were meeting uh, virtually, I believe that the association had, and I think it might have predated COVID, but they had gone from a House of Delegates meeting format to members like myself. I've always been a member of my state AMA um, uh, group when I practiced in Iowa and also um, in Arizona as a, and as a fellow because I've always felt that that was really, really important for me personally. And um, so going from a House of Delegates format, they adopted um, a format where members could submit um, public policy proposals. So it'd be like submitting a resolution to the House of Delegates to be considered. And then the um, uh, public policy committee of the state affiliate would review it and I uh, was able to answer questions at a public policy virtual forum. And by November of 2021, the um, board of the Medical Association and the Public Policy Committee had approved it. And I would like to tell you a little bit about how I haven't talked much about the our state AMDA um, chapter and how uh, the involvement in um, the coalition members that I built through that group too. Yeah, uh, before we get to that, just a quick question with uh, the medical association, since uh, many of our colleagues across the country have found this to be a uh, successful venue of uh, collaborators. Um, I was just curious, when uh, you approached them, uh, it seemed like everybody was on board. Were there any uh, hesitations or explanations that you had to give to folks so that they could understand what you were trying to accomplish? That's, that's a very good question. And I don't recall anyone objecting to it on the state level when I proposed it. And actually the discussion at the public policy forum where I was present to respond to questions and to explain the, the uh, proposal, actually the biggest question was, why don't we have that now? Or why is it, I just thought there would be a listing so that people could be reached quickly in a situation like the COVID pandemic. It was actually, that was the only question was, why don't we have this already? 
Yes, we have had very similar questions here in Virginia. Why don't we have this already? Yes. Um, I want to get back to your, your comment. You wanted to discuss uh, building a coalition within the um, AMDA-affiliated or organization, North and Central um, PLTC. Uh, do you want to touch on that? Yes, yes. And our uh, the uh, member who was the president of the group at the time in 20, early 2021 was a colleague who's I had met virtually uh, who's in the state capital, Bismarck, which is 240 miles from Fargo. And of course, we're, we're all meeting virtually, but we came, we really became um, uh, bonded on this issue. And he's been in practice for many years. He's um, semi-retired. Um, as I mentioned, I'm retired, but he still um, directs several medical, is medical director at several facilities. And he told me as an early example of the need for, for this and some of the caution that we needed to proceed with was regarding um, the continuing education component of it. We started talking about um, at one of our virtual meetings, um, Bruce, his name is Bruce Hetland, and he brought in um, Carl Steinberg to speak as the, I think he was the immediate past president of AMDA. So can't recall if that was 2020 or probably 2021. And everyone in our rural states cautioned, um, our office brought up the concern about if we, we don't wanna alienate physicians in rural communities in our states who often become medical director because they didn't go to the meeting where the medical director was, if you don't attend the meeting, you're appointed to the position. And that that would really alienate people if they had to do a uh, take the CMD core curriculum and, and spend a lot of time uh, preparing for a position that they really didn't want. And Bruce gave a very um, graphic example that he had attended a, a meeting involving uh, finding a, uh, talking about this potential um, CMD uh, requirement looming in a, uh, the populous state of California. And he said one of the medical directors at the meeting of the committee uh, took the napkin from under his water glass and wrote, if that happens, I quit. <laughs> and so we, we laughed about it, but we really wanted to make sure that, um, that we would have in our proposal, in addition to, uh, through the Medical Association, in addition to asking for a public listing, would be that we would recommend some um, CME, uh, uh, CMD training, some medical direction um, specific training courses. And that's where we got the um, geriatric department involved with their ECHO project, ECHO um, program to train people who live in remote, remote parts of the state virtually. And um, we decided to take what we call baby steps and advocate for, we're calling several hours of training a year, possibly two. And then, you know, I'd be glad to talk more about that kind of parallel curriculum state specific that we have in mind and that we're, that's in the works. But uh, after I bonded with the president of our group and Bruce was really on board with this, then um, he took it to the board of directors of the state, North Dakota and South Dakota um, AMDA affiliate and got, got um, buy-in from everyone that, yes, this is a great idea. We're, we wanna back the um, public uh, listing. And because we're two separate states, we've been able to accomplish it in North Dakota and they're working towards that in South Dakota now, too. And now, a word from our sponsor. 
your residents who have a neurologic condition or brain injury may not be crying because of their depression. It may be pseudo bull bar effect. For resources related to screening for PBA, please visit pbainfo.org. And now back to our podcast. Yeah, it's really great uh, work. Um, do you know, as far as uh, legislative efforts or regulatory, um, was it the uh, health commissioner of the state that essentially uh, just informed the health department that they should add this, you know, column or contact information. Um, how did, uh, was there any legislative action required? Did the governor have to sign off? Do you uh, recall? No, there was, we didn't, didn't go the legislative route because after I talked with, at another light bulb moment when I was introduced to the director of the long-term care association, who said right away, we really need this and we've been trying to get this. And she was the one who said, all the health department needs to do is add a column to the spreadsheet that's on the website that lists the licensing information about the 81 skilled nursing facilities in the state. So she was the one who said, it should, you know, the health department could do this easily in her opinion, if they chose to. So I had, I had talked with and we don't have a health commissioner, we have a state health officer as the designation. And unfortunately, during the pandemic time span, the two-year time span, the current state health officer is the fourth state health officer during that time period. People would, so much turnover with, um, and it mostly had to do with um, mask mandates and the political polarization in that regard with the governor's office, he was running for reelection. And, um, you know, we did, have better success with the statewide with the mask mandates after he was reelected. Um, and I won't go into my political, uh, personal political opinions about that. But the current state health officer took office summer of 2021. And I had another um, issue that I, I brought to the health department about uh, assisted living um, oversight. And he called me about my concerns. And so we had a good conversation. I was able to, um, I think he viewed me as a valid uh, resource for the um, for his department uh, from a geriatric standpoint. And um, he attended the virtual uh, state medical association public policy forum, and we met virtually. So I had, I had that connection with him as a um, uh, and he was new to our state when he arrived in the uh, middle of 2021. And then the executive director of the um, North Dakota Medical Association um, had been in contact with him regularly too. And it was her idea that she approach him informally and um, get together. She said he liked his personalities. He likes to get together and have a cup of coffee and just hear what's going on at the medical association. And she said she wanted to present it to him uh, herself. And we all said, great, you know, whatever you think will work best. So she approached him and his concern was um, privacy issues for physicians, putting their names out on the website. Um, and that was in um, November and really, really, really busy with uh, the surge in COVID at the time. So we decided, uh, executive director and I, that we would just kind of let things go for a couple months until things settle down as far as the Department of Health was concerned. And then I wrote an email 
to him and described um, in several paragraphs who all the members of the coalition were, um, just from similar to the article in the um, uh, Caring for the Ages about, about the project, um, just several paragraphs of why we felt this was important. And, um, you know, please call if we could um, answer any questions about it. And he wrote back to me a month later and said, we're, we're going to do this. It's a little more technically difficult than we thought, uh, but I have staff working on it. And then the following month by March, he wrote to me and said, here's the link we've for the listing. So as you said, I think patience was really, really important. Yeah, it seems like you were able to accomplish this through working directly with the health department and in some states uh, it may be called the office of um, licensure um, usually housed inside the health department that helps with regulatory and certification yes. issues uh, which may be different from the public health uh, domains of the uh, health department so uh, just for people to refer to their own states and where how it would be structured and i and i would look at on our in our health department website they have an organization chart and and you can see like you said there there are probably eight or ten different sections and one in north dakota is the licensing division and that's that's where you find this listing now but um that's where the director of the state um long-term care association you know what a brilliant idea she had when she said you know this this could be relatively simple for them and i do want to um if we have time, talk about going forward, um, our our desire, and I know your desire too, that we carry this to a national uh, level through CMS, so that we're not at the um, um, mercy of a, a sympathetic state health officer versus you know that he maybe if he would um, uh, resign and a new person took took over or that division had decided that they didn't care to do this anymore or there were some complaints. Um, from individuals that we would still be able to um, have the listing and that it wouldn't be subject to whoever was in charge of the department at the time. Yes, we should uh, expand on where to go first. I think there's two issues I wanted to ask you about. One was, I think in your, um, in your request and your project here, you all have also included um, education and you are working on tools to um, uh, allow medical directors across your state to have access to the right training and resources. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit, the importance of providing resources and working with uh, the medical school, I think you said? Yes, and my medical school has a um, has had, was one of the first offices of rural health, I believe, created in the country um, probably 30 years ago. And uh, as an out offshoot of rural, the rural health office, there was uh, quite a robust um, Project ECHO um, platform developed uh, by the geriatrics division, which the geriatrics division was only created, uh, it was a, became an endowed chair and was created less than 10 years ago. Um, and through that, I think people have become quite familiar with, especially in facilities, staff and facilities, of accessing either live or archive programs. And um, through that uh, mechanism uh, called, it's called dakotageriatrics.org, the Project ECHO link. And um, so it just seems like a perfect fit, especially in rural areas 
to put out and that um, chair of geriatrics and I, um, he's, he's very excited about developing a, um, a few courses that would parallel um, a core curriculum as far as, um, but make them more standalone. Uh, for example, a course on um, infection control. And um, there are already some, I think they're of the 10 um, topics that we're considering or working on developing. There are probably three or four that are already archived on the website from previous programs. And so we would just point with the list and I can talk about how our chapter is, has decided to use the list. We can point people towards those, those programs. And I'm, our hope is that a medical director who might've been um, chosen or um, taken the role um, without much experience or time might set, just prompt them to remember if they were, if there was some question in their facility about their infection prevention expert um, position or interviewing them or um, uh, working on a quality improvement project that they would remember, oh, I could go to the Project ECHO website that the university medical school runs and maybe I'd find a resource there that I could watch during my lunch hour or something. Um, so that, that's our hope is that this would be par uh, a few courses that would parallel the um, CMD program. And we still want to encourage people to join AMDA and to um, consider becoming CMDs and hopefully inspire them. But that's what our goal is with creating some specific courses for our state. Great. Um, I have one last question. Um, you know, you mentioned before about the, the importance of having a national registry um, I see that your list uh, online was um, last updated in March of 2022. Um, and, you know, I think one of the questions is, as you stated in this interview, you know, we are somewhat at the mercy of a uh, sympathetic uh, public uh, state health official. And so, you know, with changes in politics and priorities and so forth, without having a national registry, uh, are you worried that the uh, public listing will not be regularly updated? Um, is that, or what other benefits do you see from having a national registry? Well, I think that would be the biggest benefit is that if, if it became, um, if CMS would champion that and, and send in the state operating manual, as I would assume where that and you can comment on this if you think that would be the, the um, vehicle they would use to direct the states that they contract with to do the, um, to do the uh, oversight state by state and just include that the medical director's name and email address be collected and that that be part of the um, um, public listing on um, the um, Medicare um, reading system or however they would decide to do it. But I think that's what, um, you know, my eyes were open through to this through our work group when we um, learned about, you know, some, some states such as Colorado thought they had a listing, but then it went away after a couple of years because then we were speculating, you know, perhaps the person who was up, um, appointed or delegated to keep that up um, didn't didn't complete that responsibility or 
someone in leadership decided that they weren't going to do that. But um, until we achieve a national uh, registry, and the, the one in our state is dated March of this year because that was when it was created. But I'll, I'll keep track of it and, and I'll um, work through my contacts and um, remind them, you know, gently remind them to update the information if it does become outdated. But um, the inspections, according to the Long-Term Care Association, once a year in North Dakota when they're relicensed, that's when they collect that information. So that would be a time to, uh, I, in my opinion, to update it. And that I will, I'll personally keep track of that until we get um, CMS's uh, buy-in. Thanks for sharing. Um, where, where do you think we, you stand now in your state? You're working on the education, it sounds like. You're uh, engaging in you know, next steps and trying to help carry you know, forward and provide resources for medical directors. But uh, any lessons learned during this process? And uh, where do you stand now? Where do you hope to go in the next three to six months? Well, the geriatric department has uh, submitted a grant request to HRSA for some funding to develop these courses. And um, you and I have chatted about um, possibly getting the AMDA Education Committee involved too, um, as this is probably going to be a need in, in more states as, the, um, as other states are able to convince their departments of health to uh, publicize, uh, publish a list. So thinking of um, by obtaining some grant funding through the university that would provide some um, you know, funding to um, develop the courses and present them. And um, so that's something we're working on. And I guess I'm really, it was really exciting for me to, I, I did get a chance to meet my um, colleagues in the state, uh, the Dakotas, AMDA chapter in April, they had the annual meeting live last this April of this year. And um, you, you could tell there's a lot of excitement in the group with uh, ideas, particularly regarding what I hope to be an offshoot of this of mentorship and uh, in inspiring young physicians in practice, particularly in my field of family medicine in, this, in smaller communities to uh, enjoy working in long-term care and to learn more about it and and hopefully pursue uh, additional training. And there was a lot of excitement in the group about volunteering to, to mentor young physicians. So that, that's something I'm looking forward to in, in our local group. Thank you, Dr. Winston. We appreciate uh, all your work. And uh, just like you said, all politics is local. Um, and uh, as I mentioned before, you just need to figure out how to knock on doors and throw out candy virtually. So <laughs> yeah. I like that idea. Uh, <laughs> but any uh, last word for, you know, uh, advocacy in general, uh, if you, we have listeners on this podcast who are uh, interested and want to get started or seasoned folks, do you have any advice for them? Something that you have brought up through the subcommittee that you chair of the public policy committee is um, to have an elevator speech. And I recall going when I um, was in, moved to Iowa um, and had, had 
I moved there for personal reasons, as I, as I mentioned, but we went to DC and lobbied every year. And we met with our, our US senators and our uh, congressional representative. And um, I remember sitting down with Charles Grassley who's still in, in, in the Senate. He's quite elderly now, but you've brought this up before. And I think um, before you go knock on somebody's door, you need to have an elevator speech. And I'll just close with my elevator speech is just to uh, introduce myself. And if I'm advocating for um, uh, age-friendly healthcare um, in my state and, and for um, the vulnerable group of, of North Dakotans who can't always speak up for themselves. I'm just a sentence or two about that and then leave the door open and say, if I could provide any more information or uh, offer my resources or my experience, I'd be glad to help you. Here's my card, call my cell phone, here's my email address. And I think that was really key for me with um, getting to know the new state health officer virtually who came from out of state was to uh, establish credibility by uh, sincerity and passion for the subject, and that my agenda is all about helping our vulnerable elderly. And um, I think that's just really important to have that all kind of in your in the palm of your hand before you go knock on that door or throw out that candy. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, sharing. So. Thank you, Dr. Winston uh, from North Dakota. Um, and thank you all for listening to another series of the AMDA in the States podcast. I'm your host, Christian Bergman from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, thank you for what you do for older adults and residents of PLTC communities. I'll just close by saying be kind, be persistent, and be passionate. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you are a physician interested in obtaining ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, visit paltc.org slash podcast. This podcast episode is sponsored by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. The content in this episode was not developed or endorsed by Avenir Pharmaceuticals.